0: People want to have a more natural way to interact. That's what's missing with video is that it's very difficult for you to have that personal connection through just a video, particularly if you have 10 or 20 or 30 people on the screen. But when you're in a, a, a virtual environment, what you can do is to have that side coffee chat.
1: Hello, everyone. This is and producer of the show, welcoming you back to another episode of Wise Words, the show where we talk to the world's leading minds in education and beyond. Virtual reality. It's always been the next big thing in technology, and it's been synonymous with gaming, in the public eye at least. But now more than ever, with the advent of new standalone headsets that don't require a connection to a powerful computer, we're closer than ever to realizing its potential. Can VR transform the way we learn? China president of tech giant and VR pioneers HTC, Alvin Wang Graylin, joins us to discuss how VR, has the capacity to not only make learning more fun and immersive, but also enhance the level of human expression that's been undoubtedly subdued to a certain extent during this situation. As always, be sure to subscribe to Wise Words if you haven't done so already on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your preferred podcast app. Let's switch to host and CEO of Wise, Stavros Unuka, to kick off the show.
2: Hello, everyone. This is uh, Stavros Yanuka, welcoming you back for another episode of Wise Words, the podcast where we talk to some of the uh, world's leading thinkers and doers about education uh, and more. Uh, Our guest for this episode is Alvin Wang Graylin. Uh, Alvin has over 20 years of experience uh, in the tech business, both in uh, senior management um, and entrepreneurship. Um, 15 of those years were spent um, in greater China. Uh, during that time, Alvin's founded four venture-backed startups in the mobile and internet space, covering social media, um, ad tech search, big data, um, and, uh, and media. Uh, additionally, he has held uh, 100 million-plus P&L roles at public companies such as Intel, uh, and Trend Micro. Now, Alvin received his Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from the University of Washington. He has a Master of Science in Computer Science from MIT and an MBA from MIT's Sloan School of Management. Uh, he currently serves as the China president of tech giant HTC, uh, leading all aspects of business in the region, including smartphones and virtual reality which is what
0: we're going to be discussing today. Alvin, it's great to have you on Wise Words. Yeah, thanks, Saros. It's uh, been a while, and I'm uh, glad to see you face-to-face again. You're looking very uh, happy and healthy.
2: Thank you. Same, uh, same uh, with you. We were just uh, chatting earlier that the last time we met was in November, in, uh, face-to-face was in November in, uh, in Beijing right after Wise 2019. Uh, it's a very different world. <laughs> uh, in in the space of less than a year.
0: Yes. Well, uh, I think things have definitely changed a lot globally, but the the technology trends have maybe accelerated. So so it may actually be a positive for uh, people finding uh, a closer relationship with technology and enabling their life uh, using technology. So let's let's talk
2: about that. Let's ju- let's jump right in. Virtual reality is something that H, uh, HTC is, uh, is, is, has been and is a leader in. And I think, we've, you know, we've, you and I have discussed this before. It, you know, VR has been with us for a while, right? And it's been touted as the next, you know, next big thing for quite some time now. Yes. Um, maybe let's, let's have you reflect a little bit on the, on the VR journey, if you will. And, you know, why, you know, why, in a sense, has it taken a while to take off? And why do you think now is the moment for, for VR?
0: Yeah, um, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize, but the, the technology behind VR and AR have actually been around for over 50 years. So uh, I think in the late 50s was when the the U.S. military started to work on this type of technology to apply it uh, more for for fighter pilot training and for cockpit enhancements. In fact, my my mentor uh, in the VR space, uh, Tom Furness, uh, who I studied with uh, back in the early 90s, he helped to kind of initiate that whole drive uh, with the Air Force and created their first super um, uh, helmets, uh, cockpit helmets. Um, but from, from the kind of 50s, 60s until probably uh, the, the, the 80s it really was stayed in the kind of military complex right? and maybe some researchers are using it um, but in the, in the 90s there was a wave where it started to get some hype in the consumer space but it, it was definitely a premature wave because it, it was not, you know, And when I studied it the uh, devices that we were using were several hundred thousand dollars to to purchase and to and to operate, and uh, required a uh, you know Silicon Graphics workstation. It just was not something that was uh, commercial ready. Now there were some you know like the VR Boy from Nintendo. that were some games out there, um, but that didn't really take off because the technology uh, that's a little different versus kind of PCs and phones is that a low quality VR actually would make people feel sick. Right. And so and until probably about five, six years ago, the technology, that hurdle was never really uh, handled uh, at a, at a uh, commercially viable price. Right? And, and a lot of the, the progress has happened over the last you know, five, 10, 15 years is really uh, a result of the progress that's happened in mobile computing. For displays to get a lot cheaper, but super high resolution, super high refresh rates, you know, it's for, for processor chips to become, uh, very high performing, but very low power, you know, for networks to, to be able to stream very big amounts of content very quickly. All of these, these are kind of fundamental building blocks that are needed for this technology to, um, to be viable. And, uh, essentially in 2016 was really when that, the combination of it coming together for a, a consumer-level device that is viable uh, and affordable. Um, and so that was kind of when the, the second wave of, of hype happened uh, for, for VR where you know, the, the Oculus initial Oculus and the initial Vive devices came out. Um, unfortunately, I think uh, you know, that, those devices still uh, required having very high-end PC. Right. and you need a gaming PC, a lot of them, you also needed a, a wire to link to that PC, so it wasn't very accessible. Now, over the last couple of years, I think one of the biggest trends that's happened is really the the, the standalone VR devices. Now you can have a completely you know, standalone device like this, uh, I can't, can't really see it, um, like this. It's, it's, it's about the size, you know, of, of a like a small helmet, and and it does not connect to to a computer and does not require wires and you can walk around wherever you want. Um and that type of device makes this technology much, much more accessible. But it's still a bit of a, a, a of a hurdle for a lot of people because it, it means you're changing your interface level. We've been trained over the last 20, 30 years essentially to to interface with computing devices through keyboards, through mouse, through touchscreen. Right. This now actually takes that screen and puts it onto your head and you have to put it, put something on. And changing human behavior is actually one of the most difficult things out there, right? Whether it's changing how we teach people or how we learn or how we play sports or whatever, you got to change somebody's, making them change their habit of, of depending on something that, uh, they, they touch in in a physical world to moving into a 3D world. Now, I think what's happened in the last year, that's really um, that's really uh, I think accelerated the adoption curve for this spatial computing model is what we're doing right now. It's this 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 uh, digitalization of communication. You know, it, it used to be I, I was on the road seventy percent of the time because I'm always out there meeting customers, meeting partners, meeting our users, etc. Right uh, now. You know, I, I've on, I think three or four business trips all year. This is like I've on more or less trips this year than I would probably in a normal week uh, last year. Right? So, so the default now is for us to communicate through through a digital means. So I think that hurdle is already over. Now, once we've we've started to do more of this, and if you know, one day you're doing ten to fifteen video meetings, you get pretty tired, right? This whole concept of, of, of Zoom fatigue, it's, it's not a concept, it's, it's real. No, it is. I can testify to that as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we both can uh, can speak, and most, I'm sure, everybody on uh, on this podcast or video can also attest to that. So, so at the end of the day, people want to have a more natural way to interact. And you know the reason people want to go face to face is because when you're face to face, you feel like you're together. You're having a shared experience. You're able to create that connection, and you're able to create a shared memory. And that's that's what's missing with video is that you you really it's very difficult for you to have that personal connection through just a video, particularly if you have ten or twenty or thirty people on the screen. You know, it it's, it just becomes almost impossible to have any personal conversation. I mean, it's a little easier for us one to one in this case. It's, it's not so bad. I mean, we, we, you know, we caught up a little bit about what's going on in the last, you know, months. If you were, if you had 30 people on the screen, you're not going to ask, you know, hey, Mary, how was, how your kids? It just, it just sounds really weird. Right. So, but when you're in a, a, a virtual environment, what you can do is to have that side coffee chat or to pull somebody uh, uh, to the side, even if there is a big group happening, you know, a big event happening. So so that's what's missing. In fact, it's it's that that team connection and camaraderie. In fact, we just did a study that that, uh, finished recently where we had uh, four different teams uh, working uh, using different mediums. So one was using pure audio, using phones every day. One was using pure videos every day. Uh, One was two um, two offices connected by video uh, that was working together. And one was purely spatial. Actually, was those five teams. And the last team was just a team working together to solve problems, right? They're all solving the same problems. And we, we measured their, their effectiveness, their sense of belonging, the their, their sense of engagement. And amazingly enough, I, I guess, um, uh, well, I as, as we would predict, the, the worst uh, scenario was audio only. So it was like by far uh, less effective, less belonging than, than all the other ones. And of course, the best one was everybody in the same room. Now, uh, what, we, what was interesting was that we found that having people uh, all in a spatial environment was very, very close. It was probably 90% as effective as having every, everybody in the same room as the real thing. And, and in fact, what's even more interesting is that the sense of engagement and belonging was actually higher with the virtual group because they felt like there was less hierarchy. It wasn't about who's the boss. Everybody's an avatar. Everybody feels more equal. And uh, there's less, less kind of the, the uh, one person usurping the control uh, of the group. So those people were more, more willing to engage and, and participate, right? So it actually created a higher sense of, of belonging. Uh, we also did a longer-term study for, uh, for multiple weeks of people uh, working together, and their job satisfaction level was actually much higher than, than using video or audio alone, right? So uh, th- this, this is, uh, you know, I think for... for it was like 30, 35% higher in terms of sense of belonging and 25% higher in terms of job satisfaction. Right? I mean, if you're doing HR... I mean that those kind of numbers of increase is is phenomenal, right? For almost very little cost increase to what people are already doing, um, and so this, this this is this is why I really believe that the technology is um, is about to really hit a new kind of inflection point because now people are forced to be apart, and XR technology, VR technology allows people that when they're apart to feel like they're together. Right. So so this so, social distancing really helps to highlight the, the real benefits of this technology.
2: I, I was going to ask you how do you get around so so I understand now that you know the, the technology has indeed you know Im- improved uh, significantly and I, and I have to say look my my own experience of of VR is is very limited it's it's you know I I good friend has a, a very nice setup. And I, you know, I once sort of tried a, uh, you know, a, a flight simulator, um, uh, experience and it was, it was, you know, thoroughly enjoyable. Yes. Did I, you know, coming out of it, did I feel a little, you know, maybe woozy, but but that's fine. I mean, you would on a plane too, I imagine, right. <laughs> if you were flying a, you know, a small, uh, turboprop, uh, plane, you might, you might have the same, uh, uh, you know, experience the same uh, feelings. Um, how do you get around though the fact that you know there are still limitations, for example, around movement, right? I, I get it that you you now have a you know devices that don't need to be wired, but you know you still need to have presumably uh, you know quite a large uh, space
0: without any obstructions. For well, you to be able to move yes move yes no. Well. I mean, um, yeah. Mo- most, what are you talking about? The kind of applications for for collaboration work, or you're talking about uh, gaming? They already have. Uh, they all have built-in teleporting and locomotion models, right, within the app. So you could use a controller. Uh, you could use, you know, kind of uh, these. Um, uh, Little platforms to run on, you know, or you can use full open space, right? So it, it allows you it allows you to to move around in the way that is most uh, comfortable to you, as well as what's available to you. I, I think optimally you move in a full open space; that's the most natural way to move. Uh, but when you can't, you can still use you know the 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 uh, controllers on your you know, let's say something like this. Where I can't really see it. Where, where there's the buttons and there's 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 a uh, touch pads for you to 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 move uh where you turn and where you walk right so you could do or, or teleport to specific locations so so actually space isn't really always uh, hasn't been really a real complaint for you yeah so a lot of people even they will even play some of these apps sitting down because you know if you're joining a conference I we really don't need to be standing up on hotel I'm probably you know joining and sitting down Or if I'm having a meeting, a virtual meeting, you know collaboration, I don't need to be walking around. Um, so so people are you know, the, 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 the non gaming use of it being set sitting down is actually becoming a lot more common now uh, than than was before. you know we are also doing things like uh, virtual concerts and you know, virtual museum tours, virtual fashion shows. Uh, all of these things are fun activities that we used to do. Face to face, or we used to do uh, out of doors or offline. Now are all being moved into an online environment. In fact, just uh, a couple of days ago, we had the uh, uh, Victoria and Albert Museum in in uh, in, in London uh, worked with us to create the Alice in Wonderland VR tour. So you actually became Alice in Wonderland. You went through the story. You went through the the, the rabbit hole, and you shrunk to the size of a of a little ant. You know all of these things that. Before, you just watched on the screen. Now, you are the character, and you get to talk to the, the queen of hearts, and you get to talk to the cats, and all these things. That's a different way of telling the story, right? And it's also, I mean, you're you're all about education, so this is also a different way to educate because now, you know, you're engaging that child or that student in a way where they, they become part of that, that story. And so whatever... Things you want to input in there to make them learn, whether it's about scale, whether it's about physics, whether it's about design, whether it's about optical illusions, you can, you can have a, a teacher talk to them before, during, after to make it an instructive experience. Right. In fact, uh, the, the director of that show did like a 30 minute, uh, kind of post analysis of all these pieces in VR. So you can go and after you've done the experience, you can go then watch the, the, the explanation from the directors of why they did what they did and what was the story and who was this Alice person. I, I didn't even know, but Alice was actually a real person, uh, named Alice Little and, you know, all these, the history of Louis Carroll and, you know, so you can, it's like a great history lesson that became real when you thought it was just a fairy tale.
2: No, absolutely. And, and, and this is a perfect segue for really you to talk about the uses of the technology for, you know, for education and what, you know, what are, you know, what are some of the key advantages? One obviously is, you know, you can um, deliver experiential learning uh, in a way that uh, you can't even do in the physical uh, space, right? Alice in Wonderland being you know, I guess, you know, short of a theme park, right? <laughs> you wouldn't really be able to sort of recreate that world and, and you know, um, and have, you know, have the reader, uh, you know, almost become the protagonist in, in that sense. Do you see or are you aware or, or what are you guys working on in terms of other uses for VR in, in education that you can share with us?
0: In, in education, I mean, right now we're we're trying to get this technology into as many aspects of education as possible. Everything from, you know, uh, on the job training. You know, people are using it to to train doctors, to train forklift drivers, um, to you know to to train designers, right. Uh, to, to students trying to, you know, learn any subject from, you know, physics to math to, to history, to, you know, uh, to also sports training, right? People are using it to, to learn tennis, to, to learn soccer. Uh, people are actually using it for rehabilitation, uh, as well. So if you lose use of certain limbs and to be able to, to, to use, uh, a virtual method to, to manage that uh, kind of loss, loss of limb or loss of control. There's also, uh, you know, using it for uh, medical pain reduction. You know, there's just so, so many applications um, of, uh, of this because at, at the end of the day, VR is probably the most uh, full brain learning method next to, you know, essentially physically doing whatever it is that you're doing. But, you know, something like if you're going to be a doctor, you probably don't want to have your first operation on a real patient but to operate in VR on a virtual patient and to do it 50 times with a doctor, uh, you know, a trainer next to you so that they can explain to you or have an AI trainer next to you to be able to give you that instant feedback, right? That's what you want. And, and your hands and your, your body and your your your, your motions are being trained with the muscle memory that's needed to operate uh, without uh, any risk to, to real patients, right? And for... For, uh, you know, for students learning about physics or about chemistry, you know, you don't really want them playing with things that will explode. But if you give them the chance to mix different types of elements together and it explodes in VR, you know, they see a big splash or flash, but nobody gets hurt, right? You know, so, so, so there, there's, a, there's a lot of applications of this um, that, that really makes a lot of sense. Uh, both in terms of anything that requires physical movement, you can train that physical movement. Like you were saying, you were talking about flight simulators. I mean, you're using if you're using a joystick, if you're using paddles, you know all the things that you would in a real plane. Once you build that that muscle memory, what to do in, in what situation, you do it naturally in the physical space, right? So uh, the
2: interesting yeah. thing there, Alvin, is, and I, I wonder what your perspective is, but I, you know, I have a, a very good friend who runs. Uh, a uh, number of universities um, in in Europe, and they've been you know they've been using um, VR for their uh, uh, medical training, uh, the medical training they provide. Now the challenge that he's facing, their institutions are facing, is that it that training isn't recognized yet by the relevant sort of uh, uh, you know accrediting bodies for for yeah, I guess the medical societies now it's interesting because we would never imagine in the 21st century training a pilot without flight simulators it just wouldn't happen right Today. It, but we, we're not there yet with some of these other um, you know applications like for example medical training I mean, what are you guys working towards you know I guess familiarizing people with the technology getting you know getting them to understand that this Needs to become an integral, you know, part of the training. I mean, eventually they need to get to real patients, just as eventually a you know a training pilot needs to fly a, a certain number of hours, you know, in a real plane before getting. But before he gets yeah. there, he needs to spend X hours on a simulator as well.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. But but uh, I I don't know. Um, if we need to go and change the, the existing system for this stuff to be valuable. I'll give you an example. Uh, we're working with the, the largest driving school in the world. It's actually located in Beijing. They have half a million driving students graduate a year. Now, before they were purely just using, you know, they have this giant campus of cars and driving lots and different obstacles and and, and after, I think, a month to two months of training, their average pass rate on the physical driving test is around 50%. Now, what they've done is that they've actually added several thousand uh, driving simulators using VR, uh, using our systems that we, we built together with one of the development uh, companies. And they can simulate 50 different driving scenarios, sleep and rain and night and a dog jumping in front of you and you know, a truck stopping in front of you. What do you do? right? And now they can actually have one trainer train five students at the same time and watch a little screen behind and see the report afterwards and, and see what they did right and wrong. And it's, it's a lot more efficient for them uh, to operate uh, and a lot safer because you really don't really want people who are first time driving to go and go on the street right away. Um, and they can train them to be able to face just about any scenario they can think of. Right. So what what the, the 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 amazing thing that happened was that after they've installed this they found that now the passing rate is between 85 and 90% on the first try for the physical driving test after the same amount of time. So so what what that really means is that you don't really need to change the driving test now that these people have gone through all this they're, they're super confident now. They're, they're not going to be worried. Now, a lot of reasons why people fail is because they're so nervous. It's like their first time seeing. They don't know what's going to happen. And, oh, now, you know, there's this, this, this bus came right in front of me really fast. You know, and people are just, they're, they're, they've not seen what it's like in the real world because they've only trained in the parking lot, right? So now, yeah, now, now by doing this, you, you've prepared them for the real world situation. So so, I think even though in, in your case, you're saying you need a certain amount of hours of flight time, um, the quality of response of these students should give you very similar responses to the number of hours of flying or driving time right so I, I think that's something that that needs to be balanced uh maybe maybe I, I hear you, know, you. I, yeah. I
2: hear you I think what what I was alluding to though, and I, I mean the, the example you gave is a, is a good one because somewhere in in the system you know. Uh, this driving school was allowed to use simulators to substitute for time in the parking lot. So from, a, so from a, you know, let's just say from a kind of micro-regulatory standpoint in this case, the regulation was flexible enough to say, okay, you can use simulators instead of time in the parking lot. Therefore, you know, you know it becomes more efficient as well as more effective in this case, Right. At the moment, I think what we're facing in in some other domains and some other places is simulators aren't ex, uh, accepted as substitutes for, you know, not even partial substitutes for real world experience, right? And you know, and and I think that's kind of slowing slowing adoption down, uh, down, and also, you know, in in some instances, maybe slowing the rate at which you know we can say produce you know, competent, you know, doctors or competent nurses. Um, So, you know, again, just looking at it from a sort of education standpoint, um, what I think would be interesting is, you know, if this technology is is really demonstrably able to, you know, deliver the same, if not better outcomes, then how can we use it, for example, to scale, you know, the training of, you know, public health, uh, uh, professionals to give you know a very sort of current uh and and sort of pressing need that we have right how can we scale and accelerate the training of you know of, of competent uh professionals
0: yeah so so that that may require i mean in, in certain industries that are more regulated like flying i, I maybe medical uh, there could definitely be uh need to be some systematic changes right but i'll give you another example i think the um the uh, the University of London also did a study with their uh, pre med students, and uh, when they did surgery training in VR um, versus non, if they if, if they only did book studies and they were told exactly how to operate a certain procedure, like you know uh, you know uh, 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 removing appendix or something, if they did it uh, only by by essentially paper study. When they, when they asked this person to go and operate and on a real patient, 0% of them was able to finish the procedure unassisted by a doctor. But when they had done these surgeries in VR, 80% could finish these simple procedures without a... I mean, the doctor was present to watch, but they didn't have to step in and assist, right? So I think, I think the, the, the physical benefits or the, the psychological and, and skill benefits are, are, are clear across the board. Right? So, so But you know, changing systems like education system, medical system takes time. I think we, we are all very uh, uh, aware of that. Um, but for, for a lot of things, though, uh, in terms of you learning math or history, really it's about going and taking a test to validate if you learn these things. That stuff I think you should be able to validate uh, very quickly, we we done a, a language learning study uh, very recently where we were doing the uh, IELTS study going from level six to level seven. Normally it takes around six months. And uh, when they did their training in VR to supplement, they were able to jump from six to seven in about two months, right? Which is, is really, really fast. Uh, and, and and what's even more amazing is that uh, this this was done by the um, the, the language uh, university, the uh, the foreign language university in Beijing. And what was more interesting, actually, was after they'd done their level, we went back and, and did a, a formal test in terms of or a study in terms of how willing are you to, willing to use this language in daily daily use? And it was a ten x increase, going from five percent to over fifty percent of people wanting and willing to use this language skill that they've learned. I mean, if you know, like Chinese students are very, um, they're, they're they're very uh, scholastically minded. They can memorize an entire, you know, dictionary, right? You could go to any page of the dictionary and say, what's this word they'll tell you. But if you ask them to say it, they don't want to say it because they feel very nervous to use the language they've learned and because they're afraid to pronounce it wrong. They're afraid that they'll embarrass themselves, whatever. are Right. But when they're doing it in VR, they're actually speaking to a computer and the computer will evaluate, evaluate them and say, oh, that pronunciation is 95% correct or you know, here's your total flow was wrong or right. You know, and they, they've had the experience using that language. It's not about just building vocabulary. Right? So language skill training is something that not, you don't really need anybody to validate. I mean, once you've spoken to somebody, you know if their language is good. Right? So, and it brings them immediate value. Because now they can communicate to another part of the of the world that they could never have access to before. So, so some some things I agree with you. Some things require certification, and and it's hard to change the system. Some things can be applied. Like if I was going to go make a trip to you know Italy, I might want to go do a crash course and learn a little Italian before I go there. Right, and that's the thing that I don't need anybody to tell me what level I am. If I can get around and find where the bathroom is and know you know what what the tour guy is saying that adds value to that trip that I'm making.
2: Absolutely. And how much of the, I mean, it's interesting that you, you focused on language learning. Now, how much, how much of the language learning, you know, using VR also incorporates some kind of AI? Because is, is that how you get over this, this kind of reticence to, to make a mistake? Because you're not making a mistake in front of a, a human being anymore. You're, you know, it's, it's an AI, it's a, you know. It,
0: it, exactly. I, I think the two goes together. We're we're very fortunate. I think we're, we're kind of at the at the intersection of multiple technologies all maturing at a very similar time, right? Whether you're talking about VR or AR, you're talking about AI, you're talking about 5G, you know, all of these things are, are all happening at the same time. And you know, mobile computing, cloud computing, all these things are happening same to, to really they supplement each other, right? And together, they are creating all of, all of the, the technology that we're going to be using going forward. If you think about it. I mean, even in a VR device, you know, this device why does it why does it work? Is because I have a machine learning computer vision uh, using the cameras in the front to allow me to move. But I don't need these external tracking systems, right? Because I can I can see the ground around me, and w- when I move, I can calculate and know which which is a chair, which is a wall, and and you know how far I have to go. Like these are the kind of things, and you know, like we said about earlier, in terms of, of having an AI agent inside the app to interact with you, you know, those things are definitely you know, uh, working together. Having my hands as the controller, computer vision, right, to be able to see which fingers are standing out and to do that in real time. Right. All of this requires that, that level of, of the technology interoperating, as well as if if we want super high rendering, we actually have to have. A lot of this code being residing on the server somewhere and communicated to it through a 5G network so that we can have instant response, uh, even if you're you know hundreds of miles away from the server. Right? So those kind of things were just not possible. If you five, 10 years ago, they're just not possible. Right? So now all of these things are happening at the same time and, and affordable. And it's actually fairly accurate, right? I mean, now they the whether you're talking about voice recognition or hand recognition or character recognition, uh, it's actually better than human quality now. You know, I, you can do real-time translation that's better than an average translator from the average person, you know, when they listen to to the text. So you know, that's that's pretty amazing. And, and t- tell me a little bit
2: about, you know, the, the rate at which the cost of these technologies is, is, is coming down I mean are we going to get to to a point where you know the uh, VR technology from a from a sort of cost
0: standpoint can become as ubiquitous as smartphone technology? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the device I just showed you—that's a five six hundred dollar device. The average, you know, iPhone is probably like seven hundred dollars. Right? You know, the higher end ones are like twelve thirteen hundred dollars. So. And, so and, we're already and there in some ways. Where, yeah, where you, I, I don't, where, don't think cost is the barrier. I mean, cost. It, there, there's you know always you want it to be cheaper, right? But there are you know like if you look at the, just a month ago, uh, Oculus released their new standalone. It's only three hundred dollars, right? So you know I, I, I don't think there's any any uh, parent who would say I don't want to spend three hundred dollars so that my kid can have you know access to the, the teachers at Harvard or the teachers at Stanford, right? It's just—it's not, the cost is not the issue. It's about what can you do with it? And, uh, you know, what, what is the rest of the content around it? Uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of people's impression is that VR is all about gaming, right? And I, I think that's a, it's a misunderstanding of the potential of the technology. I, I think a lot of people's initial interactions with it has been gaming because that's where uh, kind of the initial developers feel like they can make money. but I, I really feel that the longer term and the most impactful uh, benefit of this technology is in education, isn't the stuff that you're talking about because it allows our entire brain to be part of that learning process. instead of, instead of just you know, using a, watching a screen, a video or just you know, just listening to a lecture, you know, where you're not participating. It's about, you know, actively engaging in in learning physically and visually and auditorially, and also as a group, right, to, to, to have that group learning. Whereas a lot of the video communication, video learning is really about one professor talking to you. Right now, I can actually have a group of students interactively doing something, have a virtual professor, whether it's AI or a real person, watch you do this and give you feedback and then tell you the theory, and then let you practice it with, you know, zero risk of any, you know, anything dangerous happening, right? And uh, you can still have that camaraderie that you have in that physical world, which is one of the f- best parts of people going to school, right? And this is what people are missing. People are lonely today because they don't get to go see their colleagues, and because they don't get to go. You know, see your classmates, you know, I, I have two daughters who've been essentially homeschooled for the last year, and they're they're not always in the best mood because they they, they like spending time with their family, with, with their friends, right? With with their classmates to be able to do things together outside of, of just that learning environment. And so, you know, this is what we announced last week is that we, we just launched our, our uh, XR suite, right? Essentially it's the Microsoft Office for XR. So uh, allowing you to do remote work, remote schooling, uh, remote entertainment. I can join remote concerts. I can I can go to a, you know a, a remote gallery, uh, do a fashion show. I, I can you know go to a, an expo. You know, all, pretty much all the major expos and conferences are shut down. No problem. You know, we did that entire launch, product launch in VR, and people from fifty plus countries around the world joined us, Joined us in a virtual space together. Right. That's the kind of thing that, um, that the world needs today. Right. It's, it, it's, it's just now people are much more open to having a digital version of the events and activities we used to do physically, where they just weren't open to that option before. So now it's about the question is, do you want it to be a video version of it or do you want it to be a spatial version of it? Now, if it's a spatial version, do you access it on your computer and your phone or do you access it on a VR device? So the the other beauty of what we're providing with this is that it does not require you to have a VR device. If you have a VR device, great. You're going to have a full immersive experience. If you have a PC... I can go in there and, and it's like a video game. I can walk around the space, I can find my friends and I can go chat with them. I can enjoy the show. I have 3D sounds, I can hear the friends around me, but I can also hear the speaker right? but I don't hear the hundred thousand people that is in that space together. you know those are the kind of things that we we, are, we find natural in the real world that it's very difficult to. Duplicate on on a, a video screen. And, you know, we like this morning. I had a conference call with about fifty people, and it's like fifty little tiny dots of screens. And everybody's you know either all talking or there's one person talking. And if there's more than one person talking, you can't hear anything, right? So it, it, it's yeah. So that 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 is not the the natural way for us to interact with people. Yeah. T-
2: tell me, Alvin. You you alluded to this. I think in 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 some comments you made earlier. You know, when, when you think about gaming, right, there's this this incredible ecosystem that's developed where you know you you've got all these companies constantly developing games. You know, and, and that's what in a sense also drives you know the, the technology to to sort of improve because you know, with you know, with, with, with better technology you get, you know, better, faster, you know, more uh, more realistic games, right? Are we, are we, can we, or can you envision the same thing potentially happening in education, right? Can we get an ecosystem of developers that, you know, that want to then, you know, just develop uh, education software, essentially, that makes use of, of this amazing technology? And what, you know, what do we need to sort of unlock that creativity?
0: I think I think it's two two aspects, right? One one is you know, do you want professionally created content uh, made by studios that are focused on education? And there will be some of those companies out there. Um, unfortunately, those companies so far have not been able to create a high enough revenue. So they're saying, "Well, I have you know these twenty people. Do I make a game with them and make a few million dollars, or do I make an education title and make a few thousand dollars?" And so most people are saying, well, economically, it doesn't make sense for me to use these people to make educational con- content right now. Now, I think in, in another couple, three years, when schools start adopting this technology and they start having budget to buy professionally made content, then these, these companies will transition part of their resources to, to, to make, you know, kind of gamified educational content. Now, the other aspect that I think is important and and maybe even more important is how do you, how do you engage the existing educators out there to create their own content? I, I think almost all the good teachers I know, they spend time preparing lessons. They spend time creating what they want to teach. Now, we make the tools easy enough so that it's as easy as making a PowerPoint so that they can, they can create the content that is to their style and, uh, and with their flow, right? So they can educate now three-dimensionally instead of educating on a, on a video screen, because a lot of teachers now are actually doing video lessons and they're preparing their video lessons and then they may bring in a photo or a video or something, you know, to, to, to enhance that lesson. Um, so, so I think now almost every teacher has become a creator, which, in the past, was, was less of a, of a case. so so in a way, uh, maybe that macro trend actually now has created a completely huge new pool of content creators. and I'm sure within the millions of, of qualified teachers out there, there's probably some superstar teachers that are you know the the, the amazing content creators that then they can create best of breed content and share it with their other educators, right I mean how many ways do you really you know, need to teach a certain piece of content? I, I think if we can find a few you know, best-in-class content creators out there, uh, that may actually create better content and then have their local teachers be the kind of supplement to, to do the interaction that's needed that that isn't provided by by uh, the, the prepared content. So having, having a combination of kind of pre-recorded, pre-prepared content together with the interactive, uh, direct feedback of the teacher to that student uh, for their, their, their local educators. Right? So I think that that might actually be a better way uh, to create high-quality content. Because if you want a game studio to make really great physics you know, education, it's not really there kind of forte and also um, you know they may not find it rewarding enough financially for them to do that right I, th- I think in time they will be in, in time when when every kid has a you know a, uh, a device of this sort or at least software that's accessible even on a non-VR device there will be studios out there that will create uh, amazing professionally created content in combination with Star Educators I think that that's kind of the the future. Do you see a role for government here? Because you know, if you actually look
2: at the the amount of of spend on education, right, public and private, um, you know, we spend collectively uh, more on education than almost any other activity, um, perhaps with the exception of healthcare and and broadly, you know, so, social security. Right, it, it, it's it's much higher, much higher than we spend. So, you know, a lot of people say, "Well, you know, uh, we spend a lot of money on on military." Actually, compare comparatively speaking, we don't. Education spending dwarfs military spending by several uh, multi multipliers. If you look at you know globally, so could government, in a sense, you know here. Step in and divert some resources, maybe to the development of. of this I kind think of it's
0: government. not a, a question of could government. I, th- I think it's it's just they absolutely have to, right? Because, because what we're what we're seeing, especially now after this year, and the 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 fact that all of these you know schools and teachers are, are teaching and learning remotely. Do we you know the the average student? In, in, in developed countries, are some spending somewhere between fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a year per student, in terms of total budget, right? You take into account whether you know school, high school and college. That that's a lot of potential budget, right? A high end VR device we talked about. I mean, we're talking about five, six, seven hundred dollars. It's not. I mean, the, 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 there is a lot of room there, yeah, right? It's, it's you, a half of a percent. Yeah, right. It's a half of a percent of the of the spend. So so there's huge potential for us to really take that existing budget and, and, and move a portion of it to, to give them access to this technology. Um, and in fact, this may also be able to reduce total cost because we don't probably need all of those physical schools or as many of them as we need to, as we do today. Maybe, Maybe you can have smaller, you know, smaller classrooms and have, uh, maybe twice a week you go into the class, but the rest of the time you can learn remotely. And and you know so there's probably ways that we can reduce total costs while improving total education.
2: Yeah, I, I just realized that I, I need I probably need some remedial math VR math five
0: percent <laughs> half. <laughs> yes, five five, five percent seven hundred is
2: about five percent of fifteen thousand, not half a percent. But still, it's it's a you know it's a relatively small piece of that, you know, of, of that, uh, of that pie. that could be Even today.
0: Like my, my, my uh, daughters are getting laptops from her high school every year, right? A, a, a high-end laptop that they're getting like thick Thinkpads. Those things cost as much, if not more than a VR device. So, so there's budget out there. The budget is about where it's being allocated. Like how, how are you doing that? Yeah. So, so I, I I don't think, I don't think that this should even be a, a question. If you look at what's happening in China is that that's, that is something that the government actively promotes and is, is putting pressure on all the provinces to implement cases and, and utilize this technology in, in the schools. So, you know, you, you'll see their schools are, are using 5G based remote classrooms. You'll see, you know, large rooms of 300 students with, with VR glasses on. You know, these are things that are just not hurting you know, in, in the rest of the world, right? So, um, and I, I think that the, the, you know, the, the, the value on education that the, this this country places is um, is really a sign that they, they feel like going forward, the most educated country will be the most powerful country, right? So it, it's really investing in the future. And I think every country have that responsibility that we're now moving into a, a knowledge economy you know, it used to be about labor, and not not anymore. I mean, we have production capability that can far outreach our demand uh, of of the markets. Right? There's there's so much things are being produced now. It's really about how do you educate people so they can have knowledge as the differentiator. It's not about you know uh, what what manufacturing devices you have anymore.
2: Yeah. Well, absolutely. And I think look, I think uh, you know what what happens in in the education space in China is is of, of global significance, and in some ways, you know, China has taken the lead, particularly when it comes to the use of technology in education. And uh, it's certainly a space that we at Wise are are watching very very closely, as uh, as you know, Alvin. And um, you know, again, looking looking forward to, uh, to to future conversations where you know we can see how. You know how this uh, uh, technology uh, plays out. So it's um, you know we, we've come up to our our sort of you know forty five or so minutes. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Alvin. Uh, and uh, you know I do again appreciate you know our audience for uh, for tuning in. Uh, please don't forget to check out all the links in the chat uh, to learn more about uh, HTC's work. Uh, including the uh, XR suite that, uh, that Alvin uh, spoke about. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to like the post and subscribe to Wise Words on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your preferred uh, podcast app. Uh, once again, Alvin,
0: thank you for, uh, for being here and for uh, sharing your wise words with us well thanks for inviting me and it's always a pleasure i look forward to be able to see you face to face in the near future
2: yeah i hope it won't be too long hope before we can do that again